How many of you are ready for the word of the Lord this morning? Really? Really? All right. This has certainly been an interesting week in the last few days in, uh, of dramatic things that we've seen in the news. Everything from young refugees coming across our border to the Malaysian airliner crashing over the Ukraine, to the stress in the Middle East at the Gaza Strip. And not only that, that's the world news on the local level. If you've watched any local news, there's all kinds of tragedy and turmoil and things that are quite um, unsettling, to say the least, unfolding right in our own area. And I also know that many of you on a personal level have received news that was not what you were hoping for or news that might have rocked your world. And um, at, the least, at the very least, it's, uh, it's been unsettling. But you know what? I sit and take all that in. I see the same stuff that you see and whatever comes my way. And I just always, when we come to a moment like this, I have this sense within me that when we are gathered here together on Sunday morning as, as believers in Jesus, there's at least one thing that we ought to be absolutely reminded of. One thing that we can say is all else is sinking sand, but we're on the solid rock Christ Jesus because it doesn't matter what the world news is. It doesn't matter what the local news is, and it doesn't even matter what your personal news is because the truth that we can stand on is this, God is still on the throne. Amen. He's still the God of the universe, the sovereign Lord of all. He's still in control of all things. No matter what we're seeing in the news or what news you've received, he's not biting his nails. He's not nervous about it. He's not, it's not a surprise to him. God is still on the throne. Come on, give me a better amen than that. Amen. Now, regarding the turmoil in the Middle East, I, I, I want to say this. It was just over two years ago that our daughter went to work for a company that would be known to many of you. She does happen to have a degree in logistics. You know that. And I'm not going to mention the name of this company she works for. I'll just tell you, it starts with Amma and it ends with Zahn, okay? It's going to take a while for that to filter through the room. And at her young age, she's learned a lot about the corporate environment and what kind of behavior can lead you towards success when you're working there. And also, she has seen uh, in others what kind of behavior leads you out the door. And she has come home often and shared with her mother and I many of the principles that are made clear to the employees when they work in this particular environment. And I always find all these principles interesting. It's a different environment than the church world. It's a corporate environment. All the things that I'm sure principles I know many of you would, would know. They're, they're always interesting. But there is one that she has shared with us that always stands out in my mind. It's a principle that I know many of you understand. It is possible that some of you need to learn it, and sooner than later would be better. And the principle is this. This is what our, our daughter said is very important in her environment. If it's important to your boss, it's important to you. Another way of saying it would be this. And this has got a little more heat behind it. If it's important to your boss, it better be important to you. That means that you may have to learn 
how to give it value, whatever it is that's important to your boss. It may not be that you don't naturally gravitate toward it. It doesn't come easily for you to give that value. But if it's important to your boss, it's important to you, and it needs to be important to you. So what's that got to do, Dan, with the Middle East? Well, it's very simple. The safety, the security, the peace, and the future of the tiny nation of Israel is extremely important to our boss. And therefore, church, it needs to be important to us. So wherever you are in your understanding of the nation of Israel, just remember this. Don't ever forget this. That little country is the apple of God's eye, which simply means that Israel is under God's protective care. And therefore, we are reminded by the psalmist, and a brother walked up to me this morning. You may have seen him walk up to me and say, oh, Dan, whatever you do, can we pray for the peace of Jerusalem today? And that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 22. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, because if it's important to him, church, it's important to us. And he's made it abundantly clear it's extremely important to him. We will be praying in the 6 o'clock service tonight for Israel. But Lord, even right now at this moment... Even as I received a notification a moment ago of other stuff that's happening in Gaza today. Keep your hand upon Israel. Keep your hand upon Israel. It is never out of your eye gaze. Protect, guard, strengthen, undergird. Give them what they need today. Let the leadership be sensitive to your protective care and what you were saying. Protect Israel today, for we say it in Jesus' name, and the church says. Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the last book in the Bible, which is the book of? And go to chapter 7, and keep it open there. I may run around a couple of other places, but you stay there in Revelation chapter 7. I want to take a small passage of this book, which is probably the most difficult to understand in all the Bible. And I almost always have a goal when I stand before you, and I've got one this morning. My goal here is to cause all of us to lift our gaze, even if for just a few moments, for the next few moments, to be reminded that though we live in a world full of turmoil and trouble and strife are all around us, the truth is this, there is a grander picture of what's really happening than what we see on TV or what we read in the news, however you receive your news. There is a grander picture. There is a more secure place to fix our eyes and a more secure place to set our affections. And it is this, and as I stated earlier, our God is still on the throne. And so today, if you are troubled by world events, if you're troubled by what's going on around you, then I want us to be encouraged by the word of the Lord. Now, you... You stay there in Revelation, but I'm going to springboard off of a little verse in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, part of the 11th verse. And you stay there, and let me read it to you, and they may project it up here. But this little verse has a small phrase in it that is huge in its scope of understanding and in what it's communicating to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, He, meaning God, has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end, which means this, 
that there are moments, whether you are saved or whether you are not saved, that God would, as it were, take a stick and begin to provoke or stir up eternity inside of us for us to know that this life here on earth is not all that there is. This is true for all of us here today, whether you're saved or not saved, whether you came here this morning on your own or whether your mother dragged you by the ear to church, whether you're a believer, whether you're an atheist, whatever it is, God will find a way to remind us that this earthly life is not all that there is because he has planted eternity in the human heart, according to Ecclesiastes. Now, how many of you thank God with me that this life is not all that there is? That little Ecclesiastes verse is basically saying this. We are creatures of time. Time is in our hands. It's on our faces. It's our hair, our legs, our eyes. Stuff starts breaking down. Can I get a witness? We get gray. We get slow. We get achy. I had this little silly image in my mind yesterday that sometimes I wish when I was preaching, if I'm calling you out or saying something that relates to you, you just lift your hand. We get gray. What was, that? what was the other one? We get slow. We get achy. That probably hurt too. I'll not be able to get out of bed tomorrow. But all the while our bodies are related to time, hear me, church, our spirits and what's inside our hearts is linked to eternity. Thank God for that. Though this body is breaking down, the spirit of man will live on forever. Hallelujah. On his 80th birthday, it was John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, who was walking down a street in Boston when a friend asked him, how is John Quincy Adams doing today? And the former president replied, well, thank you. John Quincy Adams is doing quite well. That's kind of you to ask. But the house in which he resides is at present becoming dilapidated. (laughs) He said, it's tottering upon its foundation. Time and the seasons have nearly destroyed it. Its roof is pretty well worn down. Its walls are shattered and it trembles with every wind. He said, the old house is becoming almost uninhabitable, and I think John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it pretty soon. But how am I doing? I'm doing quite well. It's just my house that's falling apart. That could be said of lots of us. This old house that we're living in might be falling apart, but you know what? What is inside of you, the life God has put inside of you is just as much as alive today as it was the day he saved you. And it will be for all of eternity. Bless the name of the Lord. But you see, the greatest battle is between eternity in our hearts and time that is in our bodies. That's why the more you search to try to get happiness here in time without God who is eternal You will always hit a dead end because here's the truth. You can never find real joy on this planet. It can only be found in God. You can do whatever you want to to try to fix this time body. It's going to always break down. You can put needles in it. You can Botox it. You can tuck it. You can try to get it all sucked out. Whatever you do, none of it's going to fix you for eternity. The only thing that's going to give you true lasting joy is God himself, and that's it. And the battle is always going to be whether you choose time or eternity to give you joy. And it's this battle that I want to speak to you about for just a few minutes this morning. 
Here's our approach. We teach our children to not do certain things because of consequences, negative consequences. Don't do this, we would say, or, or don't do that, teenager, because here's the consequences that you'll have to pay. Usually when we talk about consequences, it's uh, done in a, it has a negative connotation to it. But I wonder sometimes if we give appropriate emphasis to the, the flip side of it, where we say to our children, not so much, don't do this because of these consequences, but where we say, you want to do this because of what's ahead of you, because of what lies on the other side. You want to do this because of that. Let that be the motivation. We've been guilty, certainly in the church, of only preaching one side of what lies ahead of you. We've been great at preaching damnation and hell. And hear me carefully, I'm not saying that's not all true because it is true. But for the believer, what lies ahead is an incredible place, an incredible glory, an incredible Savior, and it waits for all of us. Hallelujah. I don't want to live a Christian life and do or not do things out of fear. We used to call it an escapist mentality. It was C.S. Lewis who said, there are far better things that lie ahead of us than anything we have left behind. How many, of you, how many of you are glad you've got a bright future ahead of you? But haven't we all been guilty of focusing on the wrong thing, missing the glory of heaven because we gave more attention to the consequences of hell? If the only thing you teach your kids is don't do that or, you're girl, or you'll go to hell, that is a terrible motivation. Because there is so much in God we can teach each other that is a greater motivation. We have such a tendency to focus on the small insignificant things of life all the while missing the grander picture which is that God is incredible, God is amazing, and he has so much in store for you. Bless the name of the Lord. It's true the consequences of hell is something to think about and give attention to. But the glories of heaven, it's worth it all. No, you didn't hear me. I said it's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. All the stuff we face will be worth it all. And that's what we have here in Revelation 7, if you're there. It's getting our view off the small stuff of this life and giving us the proper motivation of living for God, which is the glory that is to come, and it's what's ahead of us. 6,000 hymns Fanny Crosby wrote, the blind hymn writer. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. To God be the glory, great things he has done, and several thousand more. At six weeks old, she went blind, but that was not enough to stop eternity stirring in her heart. One day, a great preacher was being sympathetic toward her, and he said, I, I just think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many gifts upon you, musical gifts and the gift of lyric, writing lyric without missing a beat, Fanny Crosby said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one prayer to God, you know what that prayer would have been? It would have been that I would have been born blind. And the preacher, shocked, said, why on earth would you even say that? Because she said this, because when I get to heaven, the first face that these eyes will ever behold will be the face of Jesus. I shall know him. I shall know. Redeemed by his side, I shall stand. 
It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Glory and eternity was in that woman's heart, and she knew what lied ahead. So let's take a look at what Revelation is telling us in chapter 7. I'm starting with verse number 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God, hello, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let me just break this down. There's a lot of stuff there. I'm going to dig as much out of it as I can. So that we can begin to see the glory rather than the consequences as we're reminded that God is still on the throne. Look first at that verse 9 where we started. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Look at it. It's a vast crowd. That's us. We're part of that. It's not blacks only. It's not whites only, thank God. It's not Indians only. It's not Asians only. Because I want to be with everybody. How about you? I'm not interested in just hanging out with my own people. Not Hispanic only, not any one group. Everybody's going to be there. And I want to say this to you if you've got to hang up with different ethnic groups, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. I don't care how you got there, you're in trouble. Because you're going to hang out with all tongues, all tribes, all nations, and all people. So if you're just into Puerto Ricans, get ready because you're going to have white and black people stand on either side of you when you're there. And if you're only into black people, I just know God's going to put me right next to you and make him make you watch me dance. <laughs> Pitiful as it is. If you try to make racial divisions and racial lines, God help you because you won't be ready for heaven because it's every kindred, every tongue, every tribe. The white preacher said after he preached one day that one of the African Americans in his church came to him and said, you know, preacher, when I hear you preach, I have to remember that you're white and I'm colored. The preacher said, wait a minute, you think you're more colored than me? 
That doesn't make sense. Because when you're born, you're born black. When it's cold, you're still black. When you're sick, you're black. When the sun's out, you may get a little more black, but you're black. When you die, you're black. We white people are really the colored folks. I was born pink. When I get cold, I turn blue. When I get sick, I turn green. When I get sunburned, believe me, I turn beet red. And when I die, I die purple. You tell me who's the colored people here. Listen, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, you can throw off the black thing, you can throw off the white thing, the Puerto Rican thing, the Hispanic thing, the Baptist thing, the Methodist thing, the Assembly of God thing. Throw it all off. We're going to see the king, the one who sits on the throne. Every nation, every color, every tribe will be there. And verse 10 says this. They were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. You know, church, when we get there, we're simply going to start to join in with what's already happening since eternity passed. Been going on a long time. We're just going to get right in the middle of it. There are folks there already, you know many of them, that they're a part of that greatest praise service, the greatest worship service that has ever taken place. You know what? As good as we've had it here with Bethesda Choir and Orchestra and all of our fine talent and singers and musicians, it does not compare with what we're about to face when we stand around the throne. It's just a foretaste. It's just a practice. It's just a rehearsal for what's really going to happen. And it says they sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Everybody is in worship. I got a crazy idea, okay? <laughs> blessing, say it. Amen. Glory. glory. Wisdom. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Let's do that much. Do it again. No, I didn't forget about you. Honor. Oh, come on. <laughs> Crying out loud. Do it again. It's a little better. Power. Power. Strength. <laughs> Forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Practice time.
every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be around the throne giving their praise to him. Now, that was a little too much for some of you. I'm going to calm down. I don't really understand the concept of popcorn. I'm serious. I can take out that bag, unfold it, put it in the microwave, and every one of those kernels experienced the microwaves, all of them turning in circles. But when I open up that bag, there are always just some re rebellious kernels <laughs> that refuse to pop. How many know what I'm talking about? I don't get ahead of me here. You think you're so smart. Being a worship here at this house for the last 150 years, that bag of popcorn with the rebellious kernels always makes me think this. How in the world can you sit there, experience what all those around you are experiencing? All the other little kernels experiencing the heat, the circles, the lights, the waves, but you won't pop. You're going to do your thing. And I think about what happens in the church. How we can sit here and listen to the same song, the same choir, out of these same speakers, in the same auditorium, in the same church, and we have people popping out of their seats, worshiping, something happens inside of them, they hear it, they get it, and they just can't stay there no longer because something's being stirred inside of their hearts, but there's always a few kernels <laughs> who are going to sit there and do absolutely nothing. Church. When we stand around the throne of God, when we're saying blessing, honor, glory, power, all the others, everybody's popping. Everybody's worshiping. Everybody's exalting. Because we're in the presence of the one who sits on the throne, the Lamb of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to look quickly with me at something that somebody brought to my attention. You're going to have to be fast here. You can't be slow. Go to chapter, stay in Revelation, but go to chapter 1. I want you to watch how the praise increases. Watch what happens to John here as stuff just starts happening inside of him. Chapter 1 of Revelation, we have a two-note song in verse 6. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Glory and power to him forever and ever. And there's a two-note song that's been going on. And then John sees more of who Jesus is. So flip to chapter 4 really fast. Come on, quick, 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 quick. Chapter 4, verse 11. And the praise starts to intensify. It goes from a two-note song to a three-note song. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive what? Glory and honor and power. Now we've got a three-note song going on. We're watching worship start to rev up and get heated up because he's indicating something's going on inside of me. Something's happening. It's now not just glory and power. Now it's glory and honor and power. Get to chapter 5 quickly. 
verse 13. Now we've gone from two notes to three notes. Now it's four notes. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then when they finally stand in the presence of God, they can't contain themselves. The two-note song that went to three notes, that went to four notes, is about to explode into seven notes. Got a whole diatonic scale going on, musicians. Seven notes. And there it is in chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, when they finally say, Amen. What do they say? Amen. Come on, give the Lord a cup of praise. It's going from two to three to four, seven. And they can't even contain it. And I tell you what I think, church, I think when we step into eternity, seven notes will turn into seven million words that can't even be expressed because the more we see him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we want him. The more we want him, the more we want to lavish our praise and our worship upon him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So right in the middle of verse 13, I'm back at chapter 7. You can stay there for a while. Right in the middle of verse 13, Right in the middle of the worship service, one of the elders says, Hey! Who are those guys? Who are those guys clothed in white robes? Where did they come from? Heaven stops and says, who, who are the new guys? Who are those guys standing over there with those 10-gallon hats and boots with their robes? They got a funny accent. Who are those guys? Well, who's those Hispanics over there around the throne? Come on, Hispanic, where are you? Oh, and who's those Africans over there? Who are those people clothed in white? Verse 14 says, sir, you know. These are they that have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. It's the only time blood can make something white. And here's what you need to remember this morning. You have no idea what you're about to experience when you step into eternity. You may think you know. You don't have a clue. But you will have no doubt on that day that it had nothing to do with you. It was all about Jesus and all about what he did. Verse 14 reminds us it's because of the blood of the lamb. We have no idea what's about to happen. How many times have you told your children, you don't really know what you're getting into. You've got a few more years to go. You've got a lot to learn. You've not been where I've been. So you don't really understand what's happening here. There's a young couple recently this, just had their first baby. It's always amazing to talk to a young couple when they have their first child and to hear what they think they can expect. <laughs> and they said, <clears throat> we've read all the books so we know what we're doing. <laughs> they said, we're gonna use cloth diapers and the pins. We've heard it's more gentle on the skin. I said, that'll last about a day. 
I strongly recommend Pampers or Huggies. <clears throat> oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. We know, we've read the books. We know what we're doing. And we're going to feed our child only organic food. <laughs> they were the experts. I said, well, Becky and I have raised <clears throat> a couple kids, and our experience is a little different than that. You know, when the pacifier fell on the ground, when the first one was born, we immediately boiled it. <laughs> I'm getting some nods. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Boil it. Second child comes around, pacifier falls on the ground. <laughs> Here! Now, we didn't have a third child, <clears throat> unless you got something you need to tell me this morning. <clears throat> You're God. But I hear that by, time, by, by the time you get to the third child, that pacifier drops, mama cries out, five-second reel, put that thing back in your mouth. <laughs> Organic food, cloth diapers, your tune is going to change. And guess what? The day you discover that a McDonald's french fry will keep them quiet, you'll be super, super sizing every time you go through the line. Organic nothing. Let me tell you, read all the books you want about heaven. But what we are about to experience will not match what anybody has written down. Are you with me this morning? You know, people come to me from time to time. I've quit preaching. I've gone to meddling right here for just about two minutes. People come to me from time to time and tell me about an exciting book that they've read <clears throat> about someone who died and spent 30 minutes in heaven or 60 minutes or ever how long they were there. And they were in heaven. And they've come back and they've written this book. And this book is all about what they experienced and what they felt and what they, you know, what they saw and how they feel about it and what they're going to do now. It's all, all that. I just had this to say. If you went to heaven and you came back and you write a book that's all about you, my response is this. You might have gone somewhere, but you didn't go to heaven. There is no way. There is, hear me, no way that you stood in the presence of the sovereign God of the universe whose eyes are like fire and got a glimpse of his majestic splendor and came back and wrote a book about you. No way. Because scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You can read all the books you want, but still can't see, conceive what it will be like when we stand in the presence of the king and have him whisper in your ear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's why on that day you're going to stand and shout, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Living for Jesus was worth it all. And I'm only here by the blood of the lamb. And on that day we'll all be wearing a white robe. No fancy clothes for some and not for others. On that day, we'll be wearing the same thing because it all came from the same person. It all came from Jesus. It doesn't matter when you arrive in heaven. I want you to take a note as I work further through this chapter about the seating chart and exactly where you're going to be on that day. 
You know, we have a seating chart for the choir. We used to. I guess we still do. I don't know. We don't do that anymore. <clears throat> and people were seated in certain places by whatever. There's going to be a seating chart when you get to heaven because I think there's something you might have missed when we read this passage earlier. And I'm just going to make sure you didn't miss it. Verse 9 says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Now, here's what's interesting. Verse 11 says, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. That means this. When we get there, folks, we're going to be ushered right up before the throne. You're going to be walking through angels. You're going to be saying, excuse me, pardon me, watch those feathers. <laughs> walking past elders and angels and elders, those who've been there for a millennium, and you get better seats than they do because you're right before the throne. Why? Why is that so? Listen to me. The angels, oh, God, help me say this. The angels have a righteousness from being created by God. We have a righteousness that comes from Jesus himself. The righteousness we have in Jesus is now our covering that is even more beautiful than that of the angels. That's why verses 15 and 16 says, and he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. This means this, that you're allowed to be standing there right in the midst of this whole thing because something happened to you the day you accepted Christ and you allowed Christ to be formed in you that now allows you to step right up to the front and go to the throne of God. I got some kernels not popping in this room. I'm watching you. So what's the difference? Here's the difference. The angels never had to resist pornography on the internet. The angels never had to stand here and lead worship or teach a Sunday school class with pain in their body and anguish in their soul over a troubled teenager. The angels never had to deal with a bad report from the doctor and yet persevere in their walk of faith. You have no idea what the person you're sitting next to is going through. You have no idea what they are persevering through. But something inside of them, because of what Jesus has done, it can, allows them to press through the pain, press through the reports, press through the anguish, and somehow by the Holy Spirit come to a place like this this morning and still lift their hands and still lift their voice and still worship Jesus because he's bigger. He's greater than everything else. Never been an angel that had to do that. Those angels were created and they were right in the presence of God. But not you. You were born in sin. But you accepted the work of Christ on the cross. And when you did that, you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you have persevered through a horrible childhood and upbringing. You have persevered through physical challenges. You have persevered through financial challenges when you thought the bottom was completely fallen out. You've persevered through abuse of every kind because you have believed and you still believe this, that God is still on the throne and there's still a bright future waiting for you. Hallelujah. 
You have no idea what the person next to you is pressing through in worship. When they come here, what they had to press through to even get here today. So the next time, dear one, that you're tempted to judge someone for clapping their hands or lifting their hands or their voice or they give out some funny noise that sounds like a shout or you're not sure what it is and it doesn't suit you or you, you see somebody with a little jig, a little jig in their step, that first song this morning, I was very careful and conservative. I didn't want you laughing at me. But the next time you see some sort of reaction or response from someone that doesn't suit you, I have just four words of advice for you. Mind your own business. You don't know what they pressed through to get here today. You don't know what they overcame. You don't know what's been going on for years and years and years in them. But somehow they pressed through and said, I believe because I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb that there's a bright future for me. And I'm going to worship him with everything I've got today. Because life is perfect? No. Because Jesus has saved me. And he and he alone is worthy of praise. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise. I'm going to be done in a few minutes. Just You can make it. I call Lubies. They're going to hold your food for you. <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Paul gives us a thought that is motivation for us. I talked earlier about motivating our kids with negative consequences as opposed to the positive things we can say to them or that which awaits them. What Paul gives us is not motivation of negative consequences, but it is the motivation of the glory that awaits. Not the motivation of, I don't want to go to hell, but the motivation of, is, I want to go to heaven. I want to see Jesus. Hear me. Hell is true. There's a hell to shun. But that's not my motivation. My motivation is heaven and seeing Jesus and being with him. And Paul gives us insight on how to keep focused on that day. Let me just read it to you from Romans chapter 8. He says this, and I'm going to close in just a minute. Just hang on. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Just let that soak for a minute. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says what we face down here, it's not worthy to be compared with what we're going to experience in glory. It's not worthy. And church, from this day forward, that's our fighting language. When you find old companions and old ways starting to crop up back in you, here's your fighting words, not worthy. What did I say? You're not worthy to be part of my life, old ways, because what lies ahead of me is too important for me to give an, I want to give an answer to that. It's too important for me to give my time to. Ladies, that means this. When that old boyfriend calls up, here's your words. You're not worthy. Let me give you a new set of texting initials, N-W. <laughs> not worthy. All that stuff you're going through that's weighing you down, it is not, wor not worthy to even compare with the glory that lies ahead of you. Say it again, not worthy. Not worthy. What's your fighting words? Not 
Listen to me, when you're facing battles of gambling, anger, lust, pornography, loneliness, you just look at that and say, you're not worthy. It's not worthy to give in to this thing because the glory that's ahead of me is too amazing and this thing right here, it's not worthy. Paul was saying this, my motive is this, it's not not worthy to waste my time, not worthy to waste my body, not worthy to waste my money because there's something so much more important that lies ahead because God is still reigning on the throne of heaven and eternity has been stirred in my heart. Hallelujah. Pastor Brent, come on. Maybe if you come, I'll start winding down. (laughs) Finally, on that day, you will experience life like you've never imagined because here's the promise that we read in the last verse of our passage this morning. And God will wipe away. Some of the tears that you cried. And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Some of us have cried a lot of tears. But on that day, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Because there, there will be no more crying. No more separation from loved ones. No more pain of any kind. Emotional, physical. No more pain. And you're going to be in the presence of the King of Kings forever and ever. And he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Bow your heads with me, church.